Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Happy birthday, Mino! Tracing! How are you? Oh, good. I should just realize my microphone is far far. Is that better? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. That's fine. So, oh, I can see your Aboriginal art in the back. It looks lovely. Yes. Isn't it beautiful? Oh. I really did love it. I, I, I think in the gallery, I, I stared at it for like 30 minutes. <laughs> but yes, I really like it. And they had it stretched and put on canvas for me. So it sort of replaced... At the moment, the art that our friend Holly had done. Oh, I love the art as well. Yes, that was hanging up there before. I've got to find a new place for it now, but I do like that one too. Yes, yes. Mm. So have you been? What's been happening? Yes, I'm in a new job and working a lot. And I didn't realise how different, how you know, going into a new job where you don't know people, you know, first of all, but like I'm used to going into work and having like so many people that I know. So like if I need a break from like working, I can go next door to the office, you know, and talk to my boss and be like, hey, how's it going? Just so, you know, you can have five minutes where you can like, I don't know, or if I'm just, you know, want to talk about something that's, you know, not 100% clear at the moment that doesn't really exist. You know, because the doctors, obviously, that I work with, but they're always in clinic, so it's not like I can just walk over and take five minutes of their time. That's not really appropriate. So, you know, it's just weird because I'm just at my desk and then my break is getting a coffee or something so I can then, you know, so I'm drinking a lot more coffee actually (laughs) as a result, which is, you know, I used to have like maybe one cup I'd make my own. Now having like three cups of bought coffee a day, it's really bad. But anyway, I'll get there. You will, yeah. I mean, what could you do instead? I get that needing the break. I was, I was interested. It was interesting when I was because I was working at the hospital that you work at, um, for a day or two the other week, and the last day there was other people from other companies in the room with me, Mm. and I have to have a break. I absolutely have to. Mm. And I take that like my lunch break. Right? So I'll go go to the cafeteria and I'll get something to eat. 
I take my time, you know, it's like a bit of a break. I got myself a smoothie, I drank that, but I carried on working. So that was a very short break. And that's when, you know, I've got a lot to do. But there's a, there was another person in there, and they'd take a single break. Wow. They'd take, I didn't even see them go to the toilet. I saw them go to the doctor to see, speak to the doctor and come back, and they didn't budge. And they were still there when I left. I mean, wow. they got there after me, but they were still there when they left. And they didn't do lunch. I mean, they had, I guess they might have had some snacks with them. Mm. And then the other person, he also came later, they, what was interesting to me is they sat and watched YouTube on the phone a few times yeah. and was laughing. And I, and, and first thing, I was, I'll be honest, I, I'll be honest, I judged them. Yeah. <laughs> I judged them. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You don't need to watch YouTube. It's a work. And, and, uh, but you need to have breaks from, and it's quite intense work when you're staring at, you know, yeah. because you're staring at record, like it's data. And you've got to, yeah. and you stand. So it, it actually takes a lot of energy. I know, I know it sounds silly, but it really does. And I'm like, what are you doing? Do you need a break? Yeah. I think, but I don't think that break was appropriate because I don't think staring at another screen is a, is a break. Honestly. Mm. <laughs> totally. But um, maybe it's not really like you can go for a walk around there. It's not yeah. the kind of place, is it? Yeah, there are some nice places. I found myself a little bridge, very reminiscent of Grey's Anatomy bridge, where they stand there out looking the gray, you know, the glass and whatever. Yeah, you're overlooking a asphalt, you know, some trees, but it's still very, very nice. So you can go over there and be very pensive. But yeah, I think you do. I think I remember uh, my former boss. Shout out to Nicola. She was so good. But um, she gave me this book once to read and it was so good, like it was gripping. And I, I, she gave it to me the day before. I, I brought it to work with me thinking, oh, I'll read it at lunchtime, but literally sat down and opened the book again. And I kid you not, I read that book the whole day. Like I didn't do work. I literally read. Every time she walked into my office, I was reading. And I think towards the end of the day, and I finished that book that day. Literally, and my office and her office was right next door, you know, so it's not like she won't notice. This is my boss. But and every time she came in, she'd see me reading. And, and towards the end of the day, she's like, You're you're lucky you work so hard and I can tolerate this. <laughs> so you can have your day of reading and it won't be too bad. And I was like, Okay, like I finished the book, it's so good. So yes, you just yeah, anyway, sometimes me. I was just going to say, would reading a bit of a book be a bit of a break? But not if you're you and you can't put it down. Yeah, that's my problem. Not, not if it's me, you know, because I, I will probably read the whole thing so, and then work till midnight if I mm. can't finish it. Because, yeah, that's where we're at. But anyway, yes. Mm. Okay. All right, all right, all right. And then, and again, I guess there's Jeremy's. Oh, I did, this, I did the talk. Yes. I did my talk. It went really well. Um, the Law Society of New South Wales charity party and silent auction. It was the first time they posted this event to raise money for the charities that they support, which were the Backtrack Tracker Network and the Bayside Women's Shelter, which I'm happy to shout out. Very, very worthy charities do amazing work, adding light to the world for sure. And it was really good to hear from 
the representatives of the charities about the work that they do. And yeah, I just and I just love love that I could be there to support, be there to give my inspirational talk at the beginning and and the MC the night. It was really good fun as well. Yeah, it was great. So maybe I'll get more of those in the future. We will see. Definitely. I think you were saying that you felt like you were a lot more like smoother and, and talking went really well, you know, despite the fact that I think you were quite nervous, you know. I was, and like say a week before. Yeah, exactly. But then, and I think it's unrealistic not to expect any, no, any no, no nerves. But yeah. the more I practiced the talk, rehearsal, the more yeah. I rehearsed, the less nervous I became. And I think that's the key really. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. But it did kind of open my eyes about how much work it is to prepare. Just yeah. And it was only a, like a 15-minute talk. Yeah. The amount of work and time and effort. So it gives me an idea about how much I need to charge for that kind of service because it's, it's mm. a lot of work. But anyway, be brilliant. I had a great time. It was fun. And on the actual night, I really wasn't nervous. Mm. And was able to just deliver that talk and you know also crafting something that's meaningful to the audience yeah that was that's part of it as well because there's a bunch of lawyers like how what that's relevant to them yeah and 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 not just relevant to them valuable to them yeah so it was about crafting something that adds value to them so that was quite quite a really creative and interesting process for me and I really enjoyed it and I got a lot of good feedback, you know, people came up to me afterwards and thanked me for the talk and said that it was quite inspiring and yeah. you know, asking me if I could potentially come and work in some of their practices. So we'll see. Okay. All right. We're getting to the stories. So you have a story for us. What, yes. What's the source? What's the title? So this is BBC story and the title is Iran's Women a year after Masa uh, Amani's death, and there's a quote that I wear what I like now. So I read the article. It isn't exactly, you know, what the title says, but I still think it's, you know, quite inspiring what's what's happening at the moment. So, yeah. So I'll start and I'll do sl- snippets, but you can go read it yourself if, if you find it interesting Mm. Uh, it starts off with a little story that a woman woman walks down the street in Tehran with her hair uncovered her jeans ripped and a bit of midriff exposed the hot Iranian sun an unmarried couple walk hand in hand which is obviously quite taboo there a woman holds her head high when asked by Iran's once feared morality police to put on her hijab and tells them screw you so that's amazing if that happens but these acts of bold rebellion to me, described to me by several people in Tehran over the past month, would have been almost unthinkable for Iranians this time last year. But that was before the death of in, in police, morality police custody of 22-year-old Masa Amani, who had been accused of not wearing her hijab or veil, probably I don't know what that means. The mass protest that shook Iran after her death sided after a few months in the face of a brutal crackdown, but the anger that fueled them has not been extinguished. 
women have had to find new ways to defy the regime. A Western diplomat in Tehran estimates that across the country, an average of 20% of women are now breaking the laws of the Islamic Republic by going out in the streets without a veil. So they think that things have changed in that year. And she said that one of the many women who refused to wear the veil in public, that she's one of the uh, many women. And it's still, um, she can't believe that, you know, the courage that it takes to do that and that they're becoming bolder and braver by these. So she also said, even though I feel scared to my bones when I walk past the morality police, I keep my head up and pretend like I haven't seen them. I wear what I can now when I go out. But she quickly adds that the stakes are high and she's not reckless. I wouldn't wear shorts and I would always carry a headscarf in my bag in case things get serious. She tells me that she knows of women who have been raped in custody and cities report of women sentenced to wash corpses punishment for not wearing a job. All the women I spoke to referenced the surveillance cameras that monitor the streets to catch and find those who flap the dress code. So it does go on to say at the moment, even though the morality police seem a little bit more hesitant to get in a situation on the street like they did with um, Masa Amani and taking her away and putting her in custody, they are still sending out lots of fines and impounding cars. So they'll impound your cars if you're not wearing a hijab, you know. And they so one of the women who they're speaking to say she's already got text messages and saying that, you know, we've seen you on surveillance, not wearing hijab, so you have to wear a hijab. And she says, so she knows that the next time she goes out, she could be caught. And I think the the fines at the moment are not huge, but there is a chance of being also put in jail from 10 days to a month. So that's, it's still very risky. And it does say that some of them wear sleeveless clothes and shorts or wear makeup when they go out on, on the streets because they these things are illegal for men to wear. Oh. Men? Yes. Yeah. So it's illegal for men to wear sh- makeup? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I'm shorts? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's oppressive in, in both genders because – they did go on and say in the article that men have also, when they've seen women out, you know, without a hijab on, have also praised them for their courage, you know, mm-hmm. to stand up against the, the regime. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's it's not just women who feel oppressed in the country. It's everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. That's so, interesting, isn't it? So this has an Islam, Islamic regime that yes. is in force and has been for a very long time. Yeah. And that similarly as they have in Afghanistan, really, is what, what it is now. Exactly. And one of the women who they talked to was actually shot when she was protesting the Masamani protest. So the bullet actually entered her eye. Oh, my so goodness. She's, she's actually, so she had to leave, obviously, secretly, I guess. And she went to, I think it was Italy. By and then you know had a, a health visa sort of a situation, so she's had surgery. 
they could remove her eye and then put a glass eye and she needs more surgery. So she's waiting to to hear back, but she's also missing her family back in Iran, you know, mm-hmm. and she doesn't know when it's safe for her to go back to Iran as well. So it's, it's yeah, so she feels that, you know, I was she was with her children when they were buying supplies for school and they were, then they joined protest and then, you know, obviously the kids were scared out of their minds and were covered in her blood and, yeah, sorry, she escaped by a turkey, travelled to Italy for surgery. So, wow, that's yeah. insane. And again, it puts into perspective about the things you don't like about the country you live in. Yeah. Really, right? And yeah. there was a couple of things when you when you're saying that story. You talk about every emotion serves a purpose and is telling you something. So that anger that's spreading and that's growing, that's what I would refer to as righteous anger. Yeah. To have a right to that anger. And it and that righteous anger is what causes that behavior. It's promoting that rebellion against the standing up for themselves and their rights to wear what they want to wear um, and not have to hide their body parts. Um, So righteous anger can be very, very powerful and it's very appropriate in certain contexts. And you wonder how long it has to go on, though, before, you know, something actually changes because the the – the article does say, um, the human rights group says that no Iranian official has ever been held to account for Marsa Amini's death um, and ensuring the crackdowns. And the regime is actually not backing down. It's quite the reverse. They've drafted a new bill that's currently before parliament that's called the Hijab and, and Chastity Bill, which would impose new punishments on women who go unveiled including fines, and this is the equivalent from $118 to $23,000 and prison terms of up to 10 years for those who do not comply in an organised way or encourage others to do so. It has been described by UN-appointed human rights experts as a form of gender apartheid, and the government has dug in its heels, according to Jasmine Ramsey, Deputy Director of the New York-based NGO, that the Center of Human Rights in, in Iran. But the Iranian population has refused to surrender. So she says that Iran remains a tinderbox ready yeah. to moment. So it is. And really, the only way it changes is if the people change it, because they are a majority at the end of the day. The people are. Yeah. And it's it's going to be a lot messier and harder and before it can change. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just not somewhere I would ever, obviously, yeah, I wouldn't want to live there. But how do you reconcile when you've grown up there and your family are there, especially very close to your family? I mean, for me, I'm close to my family and I, I don't like people that imply they're not because I move countries. doesn't mean yeah. I'm any less close to my family. Yeah, It just means I don't, I'm comfortable with that distance. Yeah. And I feel sorry for people that aren't. I'm not judging them at all. I'm just saying people that are really close and are not comfortable with the distance mm. to have that, you know, the option that the choices are to either be oppressed yeah. and to live that way, to live in fear so that they can stay with their family or to leave and miss their family. Yeah. And that's it's not an easy choice. And at the end of the day, we all want 
and we all deserve to feel safe. Yeah. It's a fundamental right, fundamental need. Yeah. It's not even a right, it's a need. Yeah. But there's also so many people that can't leave, you know, and they're the guys, they're the people that are left behind to sort of endure, you know, and and protest and make, yeah, make the changes. And it's so brave, isn't it? Yeah. So brave. Like if the I don't, I can't say whether I'd be that brave. I really wouldn't know yeah. if I was in that situation. Like, if the government, he's right, women, you have to wear, mm. to say we were told we had to cover up. Mm. The It's the law, and they made a law. Yeah, exactly. And if you didn't, like, what would we do? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if I knew that I would end up in prison if I'd take the chance. So I think well, this it's... Is the thing. Yeah, it's it's not something small. Like it's the alternative is 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 harsh. So yeah, they're they're very brave to Yeah. Very brave. But to end up in prison, to end up raped. Exactly. Yeah. It's just and I don't even know how they can justify it. But I mean, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't understand. But even even if you bought into the the you know the religious philosophy that that was a requirement how is it okay to rape women in prison yeah as a punishment yeah probably is what they're saying yeah you know how is it okay for those kinds of punishments yeah so just the the whole thing that it's probably Mm. not religious like it's not like the most part the for the regime it's not it's about control more than and they're just control and power yeah they're using religion to do it, and that's where it's wrong. So yeah. people please go, oh, the, uh, the the Islamic faith is really harsh, and it's like you know, the people using the faith they want is is what is harsh because these people who rape the women in in they're not they don't how I mean how could you believe in God and and still do things like that you know yeah yeah exactly and I really like that you made that distinction because people do demonize Islam. When it's actually not that, it's the people, and it, and you and you only have to look at other religions to to realize that, you know what, Christianis Christians have done some horrendous things, especially yeah. in the Catholic mm. side, horrendous yeah. stuff, atrocities. I don't think there's any religion really that can like that you can say oh is completely no. This I don't think there is a religion that hands are completely clean. Yeah, because the the, the more people get involved. And they take it, the more they can make it, you know. Yeah. So it's not really about that. It's about, it's about human know. beings at the end of the day. It's about the worst in humanity. Yeah. Or, or being very, very tolerant of, of, of each other's beliefs, you know. Mm. Um, and that's the problem. It, it's not so much the beliefs, it's the people who wanting to control people through the beliefs. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. All right. Yeah, sorry, Sam. Thanks, thanks for bringing that up. It's good. To, it's good to keep informed of what's going on and understand that what some people are experiencing, and and maybe put things in perspective in your own life. Maybe for me, it just I, I feel grateful for the freedom to be myself, to wear you know no sleeves, yeah, to not have to cover my face. Mm. Yeah, I just think. I'm very grateful that I, I live somewhere where that's possible. Yeah. Absolutely. And it seems to completely 
booze, bamboozle my mind that there's countries where you can't do that. Yeah. Still in this day and age. Anyway, Julia. Yes. Well, I suppose unfortunately there will always be people who want to control other people, no matter how you know progressive and enlightened or whatever we become. As I think we're all in different stages of growth the whole time. Yes. This is the thing. But for me, what I struggle with is other people's suffering and inflicting suffering on other people. That's that's where it's wrong. It's not just, you know, this happens in the West as well. Like it's not just, you know, ethnically. You know, we all know what's happening in the U.S. and and the war that goes on, you know, over women's bodies in the U.S. as well. So, yeah, it depends. It just depends on the, the government that's in power. And yeah. And that, I, actually, that brings me to why voting is so important. Hmm. And I didn't really think about it because when I was growing up in the U.K., you don't have, you don't have to vote. It's not mandatory. Where here it's mandatory, you get a fine if you don't vote. Hmm. You know, yeah. it's like carrot stick. You've got a stick thing going on in Australia. Yeah. But I prefer the carrot, mm. and my carrot is I might be one person, but I've got, I've got to vote for the people I want in government mm. or be in government myself, which I have no desire to do. So if you don't want to do the job, then you vote for someone who you feel will do a great job, an okay job, yeah. or even if you don't fully agree, and this is the thing, I used to think, oh, you know, well, I don't like any of them, so I'm just not going to vote. Yeah. That's common, especially when you get annoyed with all the politics and the name-calling and whatever. I get that. And and people that say I don't do politics, I'm sorry, that's just rubbish. If you live in the world, you do politics. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. Because there's things you you have needs and expectations. We all do. And all our needs and expectations vary. And to have those met, is very much influenced by government. Yeah. So to say you don't do politics is just like burying your head in the sand and hoping everything works out okay or yeah. something. But anyway, my rant is over. The importance of voting and for what you believe in so that you can shape government, mm. Yeah, I think is just highlights that to me. But anyway, talking of voting, we have a vote coming up in Australia. This is Australia-specific news. Referendum. Yes. And it's coming very, very soon. It's imminent, actually. Imminent. Mm. Now, it's really, it's really something that I feel strongly about. So this, you know, it's my podcast. I'll talk about what I want to talk about. It's my podcast. I'll talk about what I want to talk about. And it's a significant, significant moment in history. Really? Whether it's going to be a good one or a bad one, we don't know. We won't know yet. And I feel it's relevant to this podcast because we talk about inclusivity and we talk about equality and we talk about diversity. And we talk, and then part of that is the rights of everyone, mm-hmm. especially those that have been oppressed, mm-hmm. uh, especially those that undergo persecution and prejudice as a consistent thing yeah, and that's impacted their livelihood and their outcomes, their ability to thrive. Yeah. That's a big deal to me in any 
country. And so those are the kinds of things we talk about, right? So the story, I was looking and looking because there's a lot of yes campaigners out and I'll openly admit I'm a yes, I'm, a, I'm going to vote yes. I'm happy to share okay. that. I'm not going to ask you, Mingle, what you're going to do. Can I'm going to vote yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're clear that that's the, that's the lens and the perspective that we're coming from. But I really, really honestly, I'm walking around, there's people giving me yes leaflets, and that's beautiful. And I'll just say, yeah, thank you. I'm a yes, I'm a yes, I'm a yes. I haven't seen any no, yeah. any people in the streets campaigning and no. They've got online stuff, right? Yeah. And I don't look up the online stuff. But I really welcome the no campaigner. Because I really want to understand in yeah. writing, because this is a yes leaflet, I really yeah. want to understand in writing what is, what are their opposed opposition? What are they opposed yeah. to specifically? Yeah. That's actually facts. I want to know the facts. And I was looking for a story that kind of at least showed both sides and wasn't just this is yes and blah, 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 or mm. no. And I found any of the opposition stuff I found didn't actually say why. Mm-hmm. It was more about their right to be opposing. Right. right? Yes. And around how they didn't think it's going to solve the problem. Yeah. The problem, the problem, the specific problem they were talking about is improved outcomes for the indigenous communities of Australia or indigenous mm-hmm. Australians, First Nations, right? So that was their their opposed to it, it's not going to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing I was getting from what okay. I was reading. I was like, oh, it doesn't really tell me. Well, yeah. none of us are going to know if it solves the problem mm. until we give it a go. Yes. Exactly. Do we do something different? We're not going to know. Might hope it will, but it might not. Yeah. But so I wasn't getting, that was not enough for me. So yeah. It wasn't enough of a argument or anything. It wasn't anything to make me think, to make me reconsider the different sides. Mm. So I found, I did find one article that I felt was best I could find, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And it is, I think it's the BBC. Yeah, it's the BBC. Mm-hmm. And it said, and the title of the story is Voice Referendum. What is Australia? What is Australia's voice to Parliament? Okay, proposal. Mm-hmm. So we're going to vote in this historic referendum, which could see the change in the constitution. So that's yeah. like the founding philosophy of the fundamental rights of the citizens, right? Which has happened before. So it's not like we've never changed the constitution just so okay. people are like like all up about that. Yes, Ooh, exactly. Right. That's so it has happened before, but for the first time in almost 50 years, so it was only nearly 50 yeah. years ago when it was changed last time, right? Yes. And if approved, what will happen is they'll establish what they're calling an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander voice, which is First Nations people, mm. a voice. And it's a formal body for Indigenous people to give advice on laws. Advice yeah. is, the, is the word. Like, I can give you advice, Neil, but you can take it or leave it, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, advice. And that's where, I guess, the no campaigners are going, well, how's that going to make a difference then? Yeah. And, and that's a valid point. Yeah. I just don't think it's enough to be known, but it's a valid point. So the Prime Minister argues it's a simple change to improve the lives of Indigenous Australians. But constitutional referendums in Australia are rare and difficult to pass. Only eight of 44 have succeeded. No. I knew that. I didn't know that. But only eight of 44 have succeeded. 
And the voice proposal is a subject of fierce debate, and we've seen a lot of debate in recent weeks and months, quite short campaign period, I think, mm. with First Nations people opposing and First Nations people supporting. Yeah. I just think it's important to highlight that there's First Nations people with opposing views as well. You know, the people that you would affect the most, I would think. And what it is, this voice that we keep talking about, it was recommended by an historic document in 2017 called the Uluru Statement of the Heart, and it was drafted by more than 250 Indigenous leaders. Okay? And the statement is considered the best, though not unanimous, call to action for reforms which affect First Nations Australians. Mm. And PM... Albanese, he's the one that's saying, I'm going to push this out. I'm going to make that was part of his campaign to become PM. Mm. Like his plan to hold a referendum. And, you know, that was part of his campaign. And, you know, to recognize that Australian recognition is part of it as well. That, you know, Australia is part of the world's oldest continuous culture. Yes, it's true. I mean, scientifically proven, anything, nothing to do with politics, scientifically proven, okay? So that's part of it as well. So from when I'm, from when I'm reading it, and this is what it says the case is, Indigenous Australians feel powerlessness mm. when tackling structural problems to improve their lives. Powerlessness is not a good place to be. Mm. And these problems include having a shorter life expectancy than non-Indigenous Australians. Now, these are facts, you yes. know, from data and research. And they're quite well known. I don't think anybody's exactly. these it's are facts. Very documented. Well, very documented. Lower life expectancy, disproportionately poorer health and education outcomes, yeah. and higher incarceration rates. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially young, younger yeah. Indigenous, which is horrendous, right? And many argue this is often because of failure to properly consult Indigenous people on solutions. Mm. Now, non-Indigenous people are making decisions about communities they have never visited and people they do not know. And that was the Uluru statement suggesting this voice, this yeah. consultation, formal consultation established, right? Now, I will go on to say as well that there is already existing consultation committees and things. Mm. And I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. There's, those exist. To what extent, I don't know, but they do exist in different states, territories, and they might have different things. So I guess for the no argument is, well, we already have these in place, different, different places, and it's not made a difference. So why is this going to make a difference? Yeah. Again, valid question, right? Yeah. And this is what opponents say. This is the only place I could really find like mm. substantial information about the opposition. Yeah. Some argue that Indigenous people are already represented fairly in Parliament. It currently has 11 Indigenous lawmakers representing 4.8% of the Parliament a slightly higher percentage than the Indigenous Australian population nationwide. So I guess they're looking at the percentage of the Indigenous population versus the percentage of the Indigenous mm. lawmakers. So that's one, they're saying that. Okay. Yeah. 
right? But voice supporters counter that MPs represent specific constituencies, constituencies, not necessarily Indigenous interests. Mm. So let me re let me think about that statement. So it means like if you're hired and you um, represent the the Shire of Borkham Hills or whatever, you represent Borkham Hills, and you happen to be of Aboriginal. Yeah, and, uh, or Torres Strait Islander descent. So you're not there for the purpose of representing Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander interests. You're, you're there for the whole constituency. So yeah. you happen to be that person. You're not representing that, those people. Yeah, it's just like me being the mayor of North Sydney. I don't represent black people and yeah. black people. I'm there to represent the whole community. And that's yeah. my prim- priority. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. So, another critic say it could act like a third chamber of parliament and potentially veto legislation, but the government has ruled this out, and I don't see how that's possible if it's advice. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I think that's more fear talking than anything else. Really. So that sounds like a fear, just a fear point rather than a fact. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what it feels like to me. So they made some other good points, but that definitely feels like a fear point. Support is not universal among Indigenous people either. We know that. Some say a treaty with Indigenous people, a legally binding negotiated agreement, should be the priority. Yeah. And I think we are the only people in the world that don't have a treaty with the Indigenous population. Okay. So So that's a good point as well, right? Yes. So fair point. Well, Fair point. Australia is the only ex-British colony without one, is what it says. That's what you just said. And again... I agree. I'm sorry, I totally agree with that, but it's not going to make me straight no. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree with that. We should have a treaty and needs, yeah. it needs to be the next thing. And I know you say it's a good priority, but if it's not even on the table. Yes, exactly. So many Indigenous Australians emphasise they never ceded their sovereignty or land. Mm. Oh, like gave it up, yeah. There are fears that being recognised in the Constitution could amount to that. Mm. Okay. That's and others giving in, right? Yeah, and others argue it's just a symbolic gesture, and that money could be better spent on immediate solutions. Yeah. Okay. Mm, interesting. So this is the first time I've seen a valid opposition points, except for the whole they can veto policy. No, that doesn't seem to be a fact. Yeah. But the rest seems quite valid. Yeah. Valid opposition points if yeah. you were going to vote no. And I think if you want to vote no, you, should, you vote no if it's your right. But please be informed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I do agree that the whole, first of all, they do need a treaty. But I feel yeah. like people, they're just not getting there. Like people are just so opposed to that, that it's not going to happen. And my, money better spent probably, possibly on real life solutions. But I think this is a really good step forward in mm. recognizing at least mm. the yeah. yeah. it might mean that they're giving in. Yeah, that's a valid point. You know. Um giving so, in to what? Like as in acknowledging for Aboriginal people finally that yes, I accept you, like all of these people on my land, you know. Because <laughs> uh, some might say, no, we've never accepted a win. We never would, but and that's- yeah, but you, yeah, but that's just like this, isn't it? 
Yeah. It's like log logheads. How are we going to move forward? This is what it's about, right? How are we going? How do we want to move forward together? Yeah. I think that's the question. Not oh, we never wanted you here, no, so we're not going to agree. That's just that. Where does that get you? Yeah. Well, it doesn't uh, get them anyway because their population is so tiny. Exactly. Right? Yeah, but they're four percent of the population. Three percent of the general population. Like it worked in India because there was like the biggest population. Obviously, Indians outnumbered, so they were like leave and. Yeah. Sure they said okay. <laughs> so this is so this is you know this is the reality. How do we want to move forward in, in a way that works for both of us? I think that's always the you yeah. know you're trying to find the it's got to be a middle ground. Mm. Has to be, or else nothing will change. Yeah, and and for most people, well, I think we can't continue to oppress a whole group of people and not recognize that we're oppressing them. You know, because the outcomes are so poor for yeah. compared to the rest of the society. So we are doing something wrong, you know. Exactly. That's what I'm What we're doing is not working. Yeah. So we have to do something different. And this might not be the perfect solution, but it's a step in the right direction. Surely. Yeah. Sure. And uh, Surely. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So what will the voice look like? It's not certain. If Australia votes yes, legislation designing the voice will then be developed and debated. So even after, even if you vote yes, it's not all right. Yes. Done. It's mm. still a, an evolving thing. Yeah. And one proposal suggests the advisory body could have 24 members comprised of representatives from each state and territory, the Torres Strait Islands and remote Aboriginal communities, which I think you need to get the perspectives yeah. of remote and city. Because yeah. city outcomes Very are so different yeah. from the and remote. Some of these places are so remote. Like so remote, you know, and you like, you know, I talked to some of the doctors who have worked not even that remotely, but, you know, have gone to these places and it's so different from what the city is like that if you live in the city, I don't think you could understand the problems. No. Those indigenous communities. Yeah. And that's, and that's a bit of a, what's the word? I don't know what the word is because the people probably affected the most probably don't live in the cities. Yeah. Probably in the most rural, you know, yeah. areas. And the people with the most power, because of just sheer sheer volume, because mm. they're all living in the cities. Yeah. So it's okay. kind of like a tricky one there. And then, well, but that's, and then that's, that's why I feel like if it's possible to have an advisory committee built up of all those different, represented by all those people, it's got to be a step in the right direction. Because the government in the cities... Yeah, just can't possibly have an understanding of yeah. all those problems. I mean, I didn't even know. I think well, I was on a conference call with one of these oncologists that his area. So you know, we have so many oncologists here in Sydney. His area that he covers is the size of Germany. He's the one oncologist covering size his- of Germany. Yes. Like, oh wow! This is what we're talking about. Like when when you think about it, you're just like, well, that's uncool like and it's not surprising that there's poorer health outcomes right yeah i mean i'm sure it doesn't have the population of germany but but the side just the sheer sticks of getting to those people is just so you know crazy that again unless you're there and you're aware how are you gonna help design something for those people yeah so you need it you need to consult i mean you know you could argue you can consult with people working there but it's still better to consult with the, the Indigenous people about what's going to work for them. 
Exactly. Because I think consulting people who work there has happened for a long time. Like there have been programs and, and systems in place to help. But because you don't know the community themselves, you're putting in place like programs that they're not going to use and are not helpful. And that's what tends to be happening, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So the growing need, you know, the growing need for representation on solutions, yeah? Yeah. This is this is what it is. It's about representation for solutions, and they've only got an advisory power. They haven't got a veto power. They've got an advisory power. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad some sometimes we have to tell people you're not giving away too much of your power just to make them feel a little bit better. You know about like voting. It's like, I think that, again, you're right. It's about power, isn't it? Yeah. It's about you know, we're not taking it away from you. It's okay. We're only giving them a smidgen. You know, so it, it annoys me a little bit. But yeah. When you look at it that way, yeah. Yeah. And then oh, there was this is interesting. It said, Are there any global comparisons? Um, voice advocates compare it to the First Nation parliaments in Norway, Sweden, and Finland for the Sami people. They're not parliaments in the traditional sense, they are most consultative bodies which do not have formal legislative function. In Finland, for example, the government negotiates with the Sami parliament on specific matters like land management and legislative or administrative changes affecting Sami culture. However, Finnish laws don't prevent government authorities from forging ahead without negotiations. So it's about advisory and whether it needs to be any negotiation or it's all, I guess, that part of it, working that out. But even even if people voted yes, that doesn't mean that it's absolutely going to, they're going to have more power. Well, a smidgen more than what they have, as you said. <laughs> Why is referendum needed? Advocates say the voice needs to be enshrined in the constitution rather than legislated. Such a change cannot happen without a referendum. They argue this would give the voice permanency, insulating it from partisan politics. Yeah. Yeah, I think it needs to be insulated from politics. You know, different people come yeah. in and out and yeah, things change. It will change and then they'll be like, no, I don't feel like doing this anymore. Yeah. So that's the reason why it's a referendum. And for it to succeed, a majority, and this is the thing about a referendum though, for it to succeed, it's a majority of Australians need to vote yes, of course, but there also needs to be a majority support in at least four of the six states. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's... The tricky part, yeah. and at the moment, it's look at the at the beginning. It seemed like the yes vote was going was quite strong, but now with all the campaigning for the no campaign, especially in social media, it's seeming like it's it's not a done deal, and it could easily go the other way. Mm. So we don't know. And apparently, the last successful referendum in nineteen seventy seven, jeez, and none have passed without bipartisan support. In this vote, Australia's main opposition coalition is campaigning against the change. The Green Party will support the voice, but its previous Indigenous Affairs spokesperson, Lydia Thorpe, recently left the party over its position. She's advocating for a treaty first. Mm. So we're going to vote on that this weekend, October 14. We asked to write yes or no, and we'll see what happens, I guess. So there you go. Mm, vote people yeah vote and mm. either way be informed 
And then I'll be honest, I don't inform myself very much, um, especially yeah. changes of government. I look at, I do a last minute thing where there's a particular news source that does an overview of each candidate. I go and read that and I go, right, who's, who, whose philosophy do I believe and what's, what are they talking about? And then I'll go and vote. But I don't really get more into it than that because you've got your, you, your, your parties generally have a general feel yeah. and overview about who you want to align with. You might not agree with everything, but mostly agree with most of it, say. And that's how I vote. I'm not fully engaged in it all the time, all year, I'll be honest. But this, that's about the constitution and the whole thing. And I, I re- done as much research as I can because I want to make sure that I'm making an informed decision. Very responsible. I like it. But I'm never responsible in that in this respect. You know, we have a few, friend who's quite into politics will be all over it, right? Yeah, exactly. Anything political. I think she still even votes in the UK. Yeah. Whereas well. I don't. Jeez. <laughs> uh, so you're saying Brexit happened... And I didn't vote. Well, I don't think because I personally don't feel I have a right to vote there if I don't live there anymore. That's my my personal opinion. I don't have the right to vote if I don't live there. I live here. This is my home now. And I care about what happens. Fair enough. So, Alan, what do you? Oh, could do. What would you do? Yes. Quickly. Okay. So. I guess we were thinking about on this topic, what if you have a friend? So like we're friends and we've got lots of friends. Mm. And I don't know, we've never talked about this specifically, have we? No. We might maybe get an opportunity later. Yeah. If a friend was going to vote, no. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you're voting yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then somebody else, because I would never say this, and yeah. the reason I'm saying it is because it was a story. Somebody say, if you vote no, you're racist or stupid. <laughs> now, I'm laughing. It's not funny. Yeah. It is funny. It is funny. I'm laughing because somebody, an academic, Marcia Langton, who says she's been misreported, had used those kind of words. And so that's been all over the media. Mm. And, you know, that's a very confrontational, polarizing, antagonizing Mm. remark yeah. and so when I looked at the story she's defended herself by saying she wasn't saying that that's not what she was saying she's actually saying that the the campaigning around it so the like it's like marketing isn't it yeah well, like TikTok Facebook the campaigning around it mm. when you look at what the messaging is yeah it's fundamentally racist or even stupid in the sense yeah. it's not even true so that's what she was saying, yes. and then it's been taken out of how I just said it. Yes, absolutely. Out of, out of context. Which must be frustrating for her. But Which yeah. would be very frustrating for her, but not surprising, right? Because yes, it can always be taken out of context. Mm. So that aside, I always thought that would be an interesting what would you do if in our friendship group, you know, we've got people with opposing views, and if, if a yes person, and we're yes people, came out and said, just racist or stupid, the no voters. Maybe they even said that without realising that there's some no voter friends there. Yeah, like, exactly. That's probably likely. Yeah. I mean, that would be the most likely scenario. Yeah. What would you do? What would you do, Mina? 
Yeah, I, I think I would say that it doesn't necessarily mean, most of the time I don't think it is people that are racist or stupid. I think it's, you know, they're misinformed or they just have a way of seeing things. Because honestly, most people I think are not bigoted and, and whatever. They just have a belief that, you know, makes their point of view a little bit different. I think we need to stop. And I think it's becoming more and more clear because I think five years ago or whatever, it was very easy to call anybody who wasn't the same, of the same opinion of you or as you to say you're racist and bigoted, whatever. But then the conversation stops, right? Like, and then that's it. It's us and them because, mm-hmm. and they're other because they're idiots and whatever. But we're starting to see, especially who people who are sort of, on the there's conservative and there's what's the other side I suppose what do they call themselves I don't know anyway they're non-conservatives I guess are losing the argument because they keep shutting people out you know by calling them names and judging them and things like that so mm. I think it's better to just ask why I think you should run for political office Mina I agree with you like I want to start by saying well, what would I would do. I would, I would feel uncomfortable that somebody said that. Yeah. Because I, I mean, yes, I'm of your opinion, but not that opinion. Yeah. Also, why? That's how was that a valuable thing to say? Yeah. Though, anyway, yeah. I would be uncomfortable. I'd be like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yes, it's a fact. There will be people that are racist. There will be people that think want to have the power, and that's driving their yeah. opinion. Mm. because it's it's changing the state's quo yeah and there's going to be a lot of senior campaigns and there are and misinformation and there are so yeah. that is all true but not everybody that votes now is on that same bandwagon yeah 100%. and and you're right and if you start antagonizing everybody with a different opinion you close the conversation down and we're and which i was yeah. going to say est yeah but maybe you shouldn't say that and then, yes, you always got to be able to have a com- keep a conversation open. It's just like in a relationship, like I don't know, fighting a romantic relationship. You may not always agree with your partner, but if you start judging them harshly and abusing them for a different opinion, yeah, how's that helping anyone? It just shuts yeah. down the conversation. That person doesn't trust you to be vulnerable with you anymore. Mm. To to be able to just be themselves and share whatever there's on their mind without you judging them. And it's kind of the same in society, really. It's like yeah. somebody has a different opinion. Okay, get curious. What is mm. it? What are they, where does that come from? Where are they get ideas from? What is it that they're concerned about? Mm. So that you can have a conversation. Mm. And I think it, for anybody who, who is a feminist, they're used to this sort of having to um, talk to people about feminism. That is a more subtle way of doing it. Because a lot of people don't like identifying as, 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 you know, because there's this belief that that you will be the person who shuts people down and um, doesn't want to talk about certain things and has hardline views. And there's nothing, to be honest, wrong with having hardline views as a feminist. I think it's difficult, though, if you're trying to have a conversation and trying to impose the hardline views on somebody else, because then that just doesn't work. Bye. My mentor, so funny, I love him. He said to me, our opinions are like penises. 
Yeah. He says, opinions are like penises. He says, you know, you have a penis. If you have a penis, you can love it and you can love it and take care of it. And you can share it with people that you care about. That's yeah. fine. He says, but when you go out in the street, you don't mm-hmm. whack people across the head with it. Unless you're very tall. <laughs> That's a very tall. And I just love that metaphor yes. for an opinion. As I say, that was so funny. That's like, yeah. you're right. You don't need to be, there doesn't need to be a right, you're wrong. No. Yeah. But you can replace that with, I say, but there doesn't have to be a right, wrong. And you can replace that with, I'm curious as to where you're coming from. Mm. And I think people need to stop when they realize they've met someone who isn't going to change their mind, you know, who, who, because there's a difference in identifying. And the only way you identify people who are sort of middle ground and maybe open to, you know, you know, talking about their views is to be curious. And then you meet someone and they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to change my views. And so you go, OK. okay. Yeah, I mean, the racist and if there's anybody that's not informed, they're not, probably not going to change the mind. No. So that's okay. It's the people, <laughs> people that are valid objections mm. of, of a perspective that you want to have an co- open, constructive conversation with and yeah. not antagonize. Yeah. And I think people need to be open to the fact that actually when you talk to someone who doesn't have the same opinion as you, your opinion might end up changing. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like if it's something different, like if, if, if I did meet someone of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander heritage who then really talked to me about the no vote and I don't know, you know, it might be so, and, and that have such valid points that I'd be like, you know what, that makes sense to me. So it might happen, you know, if you're not open to it, how can you expect other people to be open to changing their minds, right? Yeah. But also, you've got to just be informed. Like, as I've been looking, I've been look, seek, having to seek what I am call true factual information about the opposition's mm. concerns. And that was the first time I was able to find anything. Yeah. In that story. I was looking, I was like, where, what? There's lots of opposition, but there was no substance. Yeah. And I was like, what? The people who want to vote, no. If you want to vote, no, you should. But. At the same time, I think you should talk to someone about it before you vote no. Because, you know, you might have a lot of stuff going on in your head that when you voice it, you're like, oh, actually, that doesn't make sense. And all you have to do is voice it to someone for you to do yourself to go, oh, maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's true. I have a lot of people in my life that ruminate. (laughs) That ruminate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's us on our run over. I think we've got, we're running out of time. But let's see what happens. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the chat, Mina. No problems. Anytime. And I'll see you next time. It's been great. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com 
and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!